I'm Craig Fisher, and this is Inside Talent, where we take you into the minds behind the scenes and show you some of the coolest tools and best practices of some of the coolest people in the talent industry. Hey, it's Craig Fisher. I am with Jay Denton. He is the SVP of Business Intelligence and Chief Innovation Officer for a company from my town, Dallas, called ThinkWhy. And he's joining us today to tell us a little bit about uh, the evolution of ThinkWhy and the uh, jobs market uh, in this area and how employers in other markets can get really good intelligence to help with their planning and workforce uh, management. So, Jay, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Uh, thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, so, so Jay Denton and here at ThinkY, I'm focused on our Labor IQ product. It's our flagship product that we have. We probably talk about that a little bit more, but we deliver salary answers for practically any job title in any metro across the country. Really try to fine tune that for uh, for each individual role being searched. So, you know, what specifically do I do here? It's a couple parts. So you mentioned SVP of business intelligence. Uh, that's really studying what's happening in the market and the economy and how do we look at what's happening in today's job market, which is different than anybody's ever experienced and layer that into outlooks for companies to help them figure out where to focus. Uh, so the businesses have different opportunities in today's environment. So we help try to refine that focus a bit. And on the innovation side, it's really about product and how do we make it where it's really easy for people to get those answers, uh, particularly in the talent acquisition space. So ThinkY is pretty innovative. There have been some players in the uh, sort of uh, market intelligence um, arena uh, for you know employment, uh, jobs, migration, things like that for a while. What is different about Labor IQ and what's different about the organization of ThinkY that, uh, that's interesting? Sure. I, I think first we would start with getting really where the market is today. So you look at through the pandemic, jobs have been impacted. So certain technology jobs differently impacted than other jobs and helping people really understand today as they're going to acquire and hire uh, new talent, what's really the right rate? Um, because you might be surprised in, you know, in cer certain circumstances how that has changed. So um, today, forecasting out in the future, so not even bringing them up to date, but showing them if you're looking a year or two or three down the road, depending on what type of project, it's that. But then if you look at just how we get to those answers themselves, uh, you know, we, we, we have, you know, I think it's 80 million data points that are helping inform those forecasts that we make each month out in the future and what's happening today. And so our very robust, you know, data science and economics engine that's helping drive those uh, and then validating some of that you know information against actual salary data and, and actual payrolls and so triangulate all that to get people you know for their situation for the the type of uh people they're trying to bring on board making sure that we, you know honestly we feel like it I think why we're we're about inspiring people and getting people to that next part of their life and that opportunity and salary is just such a critical thing between the hiring manager the candidate, the talent acquisition in between. So we're just trying to make all of their lives easier. So it's a noble endeavor, uh, sometimes uh, hard to hard to achieve. Um, but you come from a, a background of uh, you know market intelligence for the real estate industry, and we're here in the heart of uh, you know real estate booms in uh, in Texas. 
and so tell me about servicing that industry and some of the lessons you learned that transferred over to doing this for the jobs market. Yeah, great question. And yeah, certainly when we think about real estate around the country, Dallas, with all the people moving here to get those jobs, they need a place to live. And so uh, worked with a company, one was Axiometrics. Uh, we later sold it to RealPage, but at both firms really focused on how do we get tremendous information at a really granular level? Because each, you know, each person that we were talking to, whether, you know, their apartment property, they were either building or buying, it was that specific one. It wasn't about just a general, you know, what's happening in Dallas and it's about that specific one. And so we, when we think about the same thing when you're hiring somebody and it's not a general salary for a product manager or a data scientist, it's about for that type of industry, for that role, you know, a person's experience level and their education. And we bring those variables together and to give them a really specific answer dialed into the question that they have. So that's really what I learned in, in the real estate entry along with just massive amounts of data. You know, how do you take all of this information and roll it up into a really good story that helps inform, you know, the people that are trying to make decisions based on it? So uh, what I love about labor market data is the fact that now with COVID and even before the there was um, migration happening to uh, the center of the country because jobs are too hard to find or get uh, and and talent was too hard to find or get. It worked both ways when you're in such densely populated hubs, right? So in San Francisco, yes, there's um, a lot of need and there are a lot of job candidates, but you know, once you apply to a job there, you are one of you know, 10,000 people that's applied to that job. And so you know, getting into the bottom of that funnel is tough, even if you are, you know, highly skilled. And so it kind of worked both ways. So people already had started migrating to other parts of the country and employers had already started building hubs in places like Austin and Dallas and uh, Chicago and, not, you know, not your traditional East and West Coast. And uh, and what we're finding is that because uh, of, you know, employers recognizing that, hey, we need to find more affordable talent in more affordable places and, and broaden our, our reach because we're going to keep growing and the talent pool in San Francisco Bay area is not going to keep growing. Uh, you know, we're going to move around now. How do you price jobs for people in those areas and post COVID or since COVID started, how do you start pricing jobs for a players and B players that have been laid off and have decided to move to Boise, Idaho and do consulting because they can, Right. So how do you price those jobs? And and you've got some of the answers. Yeah, well, you, you point out several uh, specific great examples there, San Francisco being one of them. And the question of what is remote work going to mean um, to, to the talent pool there? Uh, remote work combined with you could technically with, you know, with some of these companies, you could do the jobs from anywhere. Uh, so we kind of help in both ways, you know, for the for the people that are trying to recruit away and then for the people that are trying to keep people in San Francisco, um, you know, the, the, the different options. But you know, when we look at some of the migration patterns and you're mentioning people moving closer inland, I don't think people realize that, that Texas represented 20% of the population growth over the last decade. Yeah. It, tex Texas had as many people either move here or just populations grow from, you know, people being born and so on as the bottom 37 states combined. Right. 
And so when, when we look at some of the most recent data and you see markets like Austin really starting to take off and Dallas not far behind it, you know, doing well on a relative basis, obviously there's still a lot of jobs to recapture, but who's getting primed for that next round? You, you see that in some of those states. And so what we can help with is when people are, you know, when companies are looking to relocate from one of those other, you know, places around the country where it might simply be hard to do business now and it might be in the future as well. And they're just looking for other opportunities. Well, if you moved your whole team or if you uh, opened up all those new roles in a different office, you know, what would that, what discount could you be looking at from a salary perspective? Those are real dollars. Right. And so that's, that's what we do in the labor IQ product is one, show them where the demand's going to be. So you can look at, okay, these are the markets that are going to recover first. These are the industries. And then from that, build a team around it to see what it would cost you to actually employ those people in the new location. You know, uh, it's interesting. I've got two great examples of the migration to the Dallas area. Um, I, for the last couple of years, I worked with Toyota doing a digital transformation project. And so four years ago, four and a half years ago, something like that, they moved here from California, moved their hub to uh, Plano, Texas, and moved thousands of people from all over the country. Uh, in a massive effort and built one of the most incredible office complexes you've ever seen in your life. Uh, but then they they get here and uh, they start hiring contractors in one of their divisions to do the IT work instead of trying to hire full-time folks uh, in the local economy because they thought they needed to ramp up quickly. That turned out to be the wrong equation because those contractors are paid too much money. They got too comfortable and converting them to full-time employees in this market turned out to be really tricky. And so having done some research in advance, more research uh, than what they did in hindsight, they said would have been really, really useful. Uh, and so certainly knowing what the labor market in the area you're going to looks like and, and planning ahead for that, I mean, well ahead, they knew for a couple of years they were going to be making this move, right? And it yeah. still didn't work out right. And then Charles Schwab moved here um, just recently, right? Within the last year and are purchasing uh, TD Ameritrade. And so Schwab opens up this big office, but all these people in the facilities department of TD Ameritrade aren't sure there's going to be jobs available for them in the new organization. And so TD Ameritrade wisely reached out to me and said, hey, can you help upskill our people who have been here for 10 years and really a lot's changed in 10 years. So they need help with resumes, LinkedIn profiles, networking. How do you look for a job? All that stuff. And they're doing a very proactive thing that I don't see a lot of employers do, but they should also be looking at the local labor uh, economy and you know where and how and how much these people could go to work somewhere else for and take it a step further. Well, I'll tell you on the, on the point you just raised about upskilling and training, when we look at our outlook, so we, we're, we're in the midst of publishing our 2021 outlook. We had a webinar just uh, recently really covering some of the highlights that will be in that document. You know, we are projecting full employment to be back at a national level by the beginning of 2023, which would be amazing. If you compare that to past recessions, given how many jobs lost, amazing. But when we think about the challenges, can people actually get, can you source talent fast enough? Can you hire it and interview fast enough? I mean, then you can, can you get them trained? And right. is, all of the, is all of the supply actually there? So we actually, that's part of what we do as well. We have a supply index where by market, by role, looking at, okay, is, is supply already tight? You need to be looking at relocating someone else there or is there actually enough available talent in the location you're looking? But that's, you know, when we, when we, when we look at the challenges and opportunities out there, that 
that, that's square in the middle of it, economists can forecast all day. This is what should happen. But the reality is some of those logistics related to talent acquisition are going to be a driving force in how fast this, this economy can truly recover. So that's an absolute fact. Um, interestingly, I'm doing a project with uh, a company that Cisco acquired out in San Francisco called Meraki. And uh, it's, it's network communications technology. And they have told um, the Cisco employment base out there that uh, we're not planning to have people back in the office until summer of 21. And even then it'll be at will. Uh, it's gonna be your choice which is a smart thing that employers are doing. Um, and, you know, because competing for talent, if you're an organization that's going to require everyone to be back in an office after a pandemic like this, we've never seen it, right? People are going to be skittish and scared. Um, so these companies need to really be looking at how they can distribute labor across the country and hire remote workers. Uh, my sponsor there is actually moving back to Dallas uh, because why not, right? It's much cheaper. So is she going to have to take a pay cut to do that? She's not sure yet. Um, and I think that's a big question employers are going to have as this happens more often. Yeah, on your on your second point there, in terms of will there be a pay adjustment, there's certainly been a lot of news about companies coming out and talking about right. if you decide to relocate somewhere else, we will have you know some type of pay adjustment likely. On your On your first point, really related to the new work environment as we move forward, it feels like things fast forwarded a decade or two almost overnight where your remote or flexible work policy used to be a perk and now it is edging towards a requirement that if you don't have that, you are likely going to miss out on talent. Now, businesses can look at that proactively. You, you can look at changing ways. I mean, people have been used to Zoom and other services now for several months and getting by and actually doing, you know, you're doing fine. I mean, we just had, we just had three designers start with us today. They're all remote the whole time. Sure. You know, and they, these aren't full-time resources yet, but, but businesses know how to, you, you'll, you'll get through this. But I do think because of that, it could open up opportunities though. So I was working with a company there in Seattle and there was a drive for, you know, people really need to be in the office and, and there will be cultures where it's going to be like that ongoing. Mm -hmm. But for those that are open to it, you know, they were discussing, well, there's a business analyst I could hire in Cincinnati right now that right. is qualified, ready to go at a much lower rate and allow them to be more efficient with their dollars. Yeah. And so that goes to time to fill, hiring velocity, all of these things that are going to have to happen at, like uh, quickly when jobs start to come back uh, in full force. And that's really going to start happening soon. Right. Um, you, you know, we say uh, end of 2023, or uh, somewhere in there to be back at full capacity. But boy, we're gonna have to do a lot even to get to that level, right? I mean, th there's gonna have to be a huge amount of velocity between now and then for that to happen. Uh, and, and so the interesting thing, I think, for companies like Cisco, then they're in the networking technology space, right? They should be very well-versed in having remote employees, but uh, you know, what's their messaging look like and how do they communicate that to the talent community? Uh, and, and that's the project that I'm working on. All of these companies are now asking me to help kind of revamp their EVP, their employer value proposition to adjust their job descriptions, their messaging. How do we communicate that we're this open and free employer? And I think that message kind of has to change um, region by region, uh, sometimes even state by state, because you don't want to really uh, 
have the same message for uh, Joe in Kansas as you do for Jane in San Francisco. Because uh, I think that some personalizations can need to happen to say, hey, Joe in Kansas, yes, this job says San Francisco, but we want you too, right? And so that's that's got to be a thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that local talent availability will dictate a lot of that. And so where things are tight and, and it can vary by location and obviously can vary by industry. So there are there are industries right now that feel just like 2019. You know, a lot of it's in the technology space where you're still trying to poach people, but you're trying to do it in a really weird environment where people are not necessarily as willing maybe to, to leave their job just because of uncertainty. And so I think it's just going to depend on the type of role. If you get more to blue collar roles in certain, you know, certain types of companies, you probably have a bit more talent supply, but I think that's going to be a driving force in a lot of this that especially as things start to take off. So these, um, you know, Austin is one that I know you and I talked about recently that if you take the, what the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics classifies as leisure and hospitality jobs. So we're talking about restaurants, bars, hotels, sporting events, museums. Okay. Bundle all those and take them out. And the reason I say that is just about any market you look at, they've been hit the hardest because those are places where, you know, you can't have everybody together, social distancing and so on. If in Austin, if you take that category out of the mix, Austin's already regained back the rest of the jobs. Right. The rest of the types of jobs feel a lot more like they used to. Um, Dallas is not far behind. You got a few others like Phoenix and Tampa. So like I said, it's going to depend on the industry and it's going to depend on the location. So one of the things that uh, points you made earlier about remote workers saying, hey, I'm ready to go. I think we've seen and and have kind of proven now that remote workers are, you know, equal to or more productive than people uh, commuting to an office. Um, how is that going to affect real estate? This is something that goes to your, you know, your old uh, sort of venue. And uh, and how do we apply that to what employers need to be thinking about in the future? Yeah, and I know one of your recent guests talked about, you know, potentially commercial real estate um, being impacted. I think that's the first place that that my head goes. You know, when you look at traditionally, if you look at um, when recessions happen, so let's even take the COVID thing out of the mix for a second. When recessions happen, typically what you see is people still need housing. So they'll do whatever they can. And I used to be in the apartment space, long-term apartments outperform because even, you know, if you, when, when things get tight, you'll shop less, you know, you, you might not be going to the office, you, you might've got laid off or something. You, you know, you take all the different types of real estate that are out there. You're going to restaurants less, you, all of that, but you're going to do everything you can to keep your place and not necessarily have to move back with mom and dad or in with your brother or sister, if you're or your friend, you know, people like having their home. And so they kind of protect that first. So when we think about it generally, real estate and particularly, um, you know, res residential real estate, particularly say multifamily apartment rentals, because people don't want to commit long term, long term. Right now, what we're seeing, though, with with uh, residential is because of low interest rates. And again, for people who have made it through this okay and have they feel comfortable, we're still seeing a lot of single family home building, a lot of construction in that space. So right. residential good, you know, you that you worry about now office. And so what does office look like as you get down the road? Now those are long-term leases, so it might take some time for some of that to turn over. Right. But yeah, we'll certainly probably be looking at some different situation there. And then, you know, you look at retail and restaurant space and so on, and you just wonder, um, is it going to be the same? You know, you, it already had a technology impact. 
Mm -hmm. So people are already, so if you look at say electronic stores, even though people are buying computers and stuff like crazy now, because they're getting their home offices set up, um, those types of stores were in the decline before COVID happened. Way before. And then you layer this onto it again, talking about fast forwarding us, certain types of, you know, of, of retail, I think are going to struggle, but that was already on the way. One interesting, yeah. One interesting note here in Dallas, it's, it's somewhat hard to believe. We have more people employed at clothing stores and clothing accessory stores today than a year ago. So through the pandemic, people are staying home yet here in Dallas, we still like to go out, I think, and, and dress up one of the only three markets in the country that can say that. So it right. does vary market to market, but generally those are those are the themes that we see with real estate. Yeah, and I I think uh, I saw something recently that um, you know the Home Depots and Lowe's of the world are also thriving, right? So there are some sectors where where things are really good. And uh, you know, interestingly enough, my my wife is in uh, corporate relocation and uh, corporate housing, and she leases uh, furnished apartments for executives moving all over the place, and they are booming. It's uh, it's it's astonishing at the rate people are are, are moving around. So, um, you know, I, I like that uh, aspect of things. And, it, you know, it seems like we've got a pretty good economy when you look at it from there. Yeah. Yeah. I was specifically, you know, you mentioned their rentals and apartments um, uh, in this type of world, often those a little bit nicer. So kind of mid price point and up mm -hmm. because it could be executives moving somewhere. Um, you might get a little bit of a concession, like a month or two free. And so, yeah, it, there are some things in this world. And then again, it's not a long-term commitment. So apartments, I've studied it for a long time. They tend to outperform over multiple cycles. Uh, but right now is when they really feel good because their occupancy rates stay up as opposed to, you know, you see businesses either not forming or going away. You see people not going to restaurants and retail, but they are working from their homes. They're, mm -hmm. you know, all of that. I think if anything, it's going to be more about space. So as you think about moving forward, I think, you know, looking at the apartment space, part of the thought was uh, you're, you're likely going to start to need more two and three bedrooms because the millennial age group is getting older. They're going to start needing more space as they eventually do have, you know, get married, have kids, that sort of thing. But now they're also having to work there. That's and right. so I think just the space within units will, you know, something that developers go to build that next new round of product. I think that's what I'll be interested to see is, is there any sort of, you know, sort of COVID impact to more workspace in these houses than maybe or the houses and apartments than what we had before? Well, and we've seen in downturns like this before where some of those office buildings uh, become, you know, luxury apartments as well. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that happening in even places that have uh, large uh, retail warehouses and, you know, things like that where, you know, we're not going there anymore. That space needs to be used for something. It's already being converted to call center space for companies like CVS. Uh, and so we're seeing a weird sort of consolidation that, I mean, you know, it's, it's America, we'll work it out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I would, I would especially say in those, in those places where you're going to end up having a lot of population growth, you're going to have job growth once it comes back. Uh, yeah. We, we expect big demand on the other side of this. We're just in that period where we're trying to figure out what's really going to be the timing of a vaccine. How many people will take it? How well will it work? How fast will it work? You know, once those things get sorted out, and as long as we're able to bridge the gap via stimulus or something else to keep businesses alive and get there, you know, we do see, we do see some sunshine on the other side of it. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, a, a looming event that I think will help to uh, facilitate getting to the other side of this, whatever happens in that event, right? I mean, once we get past uh, November, we're going to be in 
a lot better shape. So I'm excited about uh, just getting past that hump, whatever that is. Yeah, as you can imagine, given that we give forecasts for job growth and all sorts of things, we do get asked about the election. I think my I'm sure. especially standard answer that I've never been able to give during one of these cycles is um, a vaccine and getting past COVID will be bigger than any president, anything anybody's ever done. Absolutely. And so so that, that's really the key is just focusing on when we can get past the pandemic. And, and from there, I think, I think we'll be in good shape. All right. Well, Jay Denton, this has been fascinating. Uh, ThinkWise is going to participate in the upcoming TalentNet uh, live conference that is November 20th online on the Hopin platform. Uh, Jay is going to give us a market uh, sort of update about uh, Dallas, Texas, and Austin for uh, labor, careers, jobs, et cetera. And we're really excited about that. Uh, it's going to be sort of first thing in the in the day uh, after the opening keynote. And so get your tickets now. They're cheap. Uh, text me for a discount code if you want uh, at talentnetlive.com and uh, go visit thinkwide.com. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Thinkwide.com backslash labor IQ if you want to see the specific product. Right to away. learn more about labor IQ. Right. All right. Jay, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening to Inside Talent. Learn more about the future of talent today at InsideTalent.org, where you can sign up for regular updates and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.